Well, Merry Christmas. It's here. We wait for this day every year, don't we? It's a day of great celebration. We did a little celebrating of our own yesterday. Uh, my daughter Ashley was engaged yesterday. So, so if her finger is sticking out a little today, that's why. So you can share your love with her. We're excited. Christmas Eve will never be the same. Well, it's certainly a day of great cold, isn't it? Uh, but a day of greater celebration. It's a happy day as we gather together today with family and friends. We exchange presents. We eat food. We watch movies on TV. We play games. We, we do all the little other little traditions that are unique to our families. And it's certainly a holy day too, isn't it? As we remember one of the most important moments in all of human history, the birth of Jesus Christ. You know, we often use slogans like, Jesus is the reason for the season, or don't take Christ out of Christmas. And those are good and true statements. And this morning I want to tell you why. Let's face it, Christmas is great. We get time off of work. Kids get time off of school. We decorate. We feast. We party. We love it. It's fun. And there are all kinds of fictional stories built around the holidays that are fun and imaginative. Talking snowmen and flying reindeer and toy-making elves. All great fun. But Jesus is better. And while we talk about making Jesus the center of our holiday gatherings, the truth is, very few of us actually do. You know, when you stop and think about it, we may read a few verses from Luke chapter 2 or light some Advent candles or some other tradition. But is Jesus really the high point of our celebrations today? Now, I'm not here this morning to assign blame or issue rebukes or anything like that. I just want to show you this morning why the gift of Jesus is the most amazing thing that happened at Christmas. Why he's worth all the time and thought and effort and worship that you can give him today. Jesus is indeed the reason for the season. I want to focus on Hebrews chapter 1, just the opening four verses of that chapter this morning. And in these opening four verses, we find one long sentence. Verse 1 through 4 is all one long sentence. It talks about the past. It talks about the present. It talks about the future. But most of all, it talks about Jesus. And that's why I selected it today. Look at verse 1 and 2 again. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these days, these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Now, long ago refers to the Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi. God did speak at many times and in many ways. Can you remember a few of them? One is given in the text by the prophets. We have lots of books written by the prophets in the Old Testament. God also spoke, you may remember, 
through a burning bush, through the mouth of a donkey, through a still small voice, through thunders and lightnings from a mountaintop. Dreams or nightmares, depending on who was having them. And of course, he spoke through his angelic messengers, like the one who came to visit Mary. But that all changed, as the text says, in these last days. The last days are the New Testament age. The time when Jesus came and made everything new. John the Baptist was the last Old Testament prophet. And he pointed to the new in Jesus. Now God would speak through Jesus from here on out. And it would be the absolute best way that he could ever speak to us. Do you know why? He's going to tell us all about it in this long sentence. And remember, God speaking through Jesus started on the day that we are celebrating today. The day in Bethlehem. The day when Mary would bear a baby and call his name Jesus. This is the day when everything changed. So notice with me in just a few minutes this, together this morning, I want you to notice with me seven remarkable descriptions in verses 2 and 3 about this baby that we worship today. And I hope that it will help you worship Jesus first and foremost in your celebrations today and every day. Let's look at them. Number one, Jesus gets everything. Do you notice in verse 2 it says, whom he appointed the heir of all things. All right, where are the kids at here? I'm looking around. Okay. So how many of you are looking forward to getting presents today? Okay, and the adults are now raising their hands as well. How many of you already opened some presents? Uh-huh. Yep. I couldn't wait, could you? You know, in Britain, where I lived for several years, they don't open presents until tomorrow. They call it Boxing Day. How, how, could you wait that long? Crazy. Well, gifts are wonderful. Gifts can be expressions of love and generosity. Children of all ages enjoy receiving them. But did you ever consider Jesus gets everything? He is the heir, the beneficiary of everything. In modern lingo, we might say, Jesus gets all the presents. And there's a fascinating verse in Romans 8, 17, that says that we, you and me, as God's children, as people who believe in Jesus as our Savior, you share his inheritance. The Bible says in Romans 8, 17, we are fellow heirs with Jesus, and Jesus gets everything. That means that if you belong to Jesus, if he is your Savior, you share his inheritance. And what is his inheritance? Everything. And it is your inheritance too. So as you give and receive gifts today, no matter how many you get, no matter how many you give, remember 
that and worship Jesus, even as you give and receive gifts. Jesus is the heir of everything. Jesus gets everything. Number two, Jesus made everything. Look at the next phrase. Through whom also he created the world. If you wonder why Jesus gets everything, it's because he already owns everything. He owns everything because he made everything. Jesus created the universe. We talk about the beautiful star that shined over the place where Jesus lay. But Jesus, the Son of God, that little baby in the manger, created all the stars in the sky. I don't know if you are like me. I love to look up in the, in the night sky, especially when it's clear. And there have been some amazingly clear nights recently. And I've been able to see a lot of stars And if you know which ones they are, some of them are gigantic. And they're sparkling up in the sky. They're hundreds or maybe thousands of light years away from us, from our little planet. You can even see very clearly with your naked eye Jupiter and Mars in recent days. And with a telescope, you can see myriads more. When you look up into the night sky... And when you see the stars and when you get on a plane to visit family and go high up in the sky and see for hundreds of miles around and when you watch the snow fall on the trees around your home, remember who created all of that and worship the baby born in the manger, the creator of the world. Jesus made everything. Number three, Jesus lights up everything. Look at the next phrase. He is the radiance of the glory of God. The word radiance means brightness. It means literally sending out rays of light. Remember, Jesus himself called himself the light of the world. What do they mean by that? Do you ever think about that? Did Jesus glow like, was he his own night, night lamp, you know, in his room? Did he, like, glow? Is that what it means that he was the light of the world? Well, the idea of light in the Bible is usually contrasted with darkness. And darkness in the Bible usually represents sin and judgment. Light usually represents holiness and truth. The light that Jesus shined was described by the Apostle John in John chapter 1. Remember what he said? We have seen his glory full of grace and truth. That's what Jesus' light is all about. And as Jesus' followers, we are also called to shine that same light. Do you remember in Matthew 5, 14, Jesus told his disciples, he told you and me, You are the light of the world. Not only did he say, I am the light of the world, he said, you are the light of the world. So our job, now that Jesus is gone, now that Jesus went back to heaven, it's our job to light up the world, just like Jesus did, through the way that we speak, through the way that we behave, the honesty and the humility that we show through our lives that's so different from those that are still living in the darkness all around us. 
So this Christmas, as you see the beautiful lights on your trees and on your homes, remember the greater light of the baby and worship him. Number four, Jesus is everything God is. Look at the next phrase. And he is the exact imprint of his nature. Many of you know that my daughter Christina is expecting a baby boy in about four months. She had an ultrasound recently, and in looking at those pictures with me, she said, don't you think he has my nose? I have to tell you, ultrasounds are a bit blurry to me to see those kind of likenesses. But when the baby arrives, I'm sure it will be much clearer. You know, I'm sure that Jesus looked a little bit like his mother Mary. As a human, that's how genetics work, right? But do you know who he really looked like? His father. And I'm not talking about Joseph. Our text says that Jesus was the exact imprint. Another way to say that is the exact stamp, the exact carbon copy of the Father. Paul wrote it this way to the Colossians. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Think about this. You and me, we can't see the Father a good thing because <laughs> if we could see the father what would happen we would instantly die because of how great the holiness of god is god is a spirit it's invisible to us at this time but jesus is emmanuel god with us Jesus is God in human form, God in flesh. Everything that God is, Jesus is. So as you see baby Jesus in nativity scenes today, remember he is God in flesh and worship him for that. Number five, Jesus can do everything. Look at the text. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. I can't imagine how the disciples were feeling that one night. Do you remember? They're in a deadly storm on a lake in imminent danger. Jesus gets up from sleeping, speaks to the storm, and it settles down instantly. Remember what the disciples were saying to each other? Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Good question. Want to know the answer, disciples? Hebrews tells us he's the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. Do you realize this little baby in the manger spoke in the beginning? Spoke. And light came into being, along with everything else. He can still the storm on a little lake in the tiny country of Israel, 
and at the same time keep all the planets in our solar system orbiting the sun at exactly the right speed, at exactly the right angle. He has ultimate power. Paul in Colossians again writes this, in him, in Jesus, all things hold together. When we leave the service in a few minutes, most of you are going to get into some kind of a vehicle and drive away, and you're going to think that you're in control of your car as you drive home today. But I've got news for you. Every microscopic particle of your car at the atomic level, at the quantum level, or beyond, every part of it is held together by Jesus Christ. When you are putting together a new toy today or assembling a bicycle that was a gift or putting together a piece of furniture, remember who really holds together all things by the word of his power and worship the baby Jesus. Number six, Jesus can forgive everything. Look what the next phrase says. After making purification for sins. The term purification is a term that comes from Jewish temple worship. Purification was the work of priests. They made sacrifices so that God wouldn't destroy people for their sins. This little baby that we remember today did something absolutely amazing. He became both our priest and our sacrifice at the same time. He offered the sacrifice, and the sacrifice was himself. There was no animal sacrifice that could truly cleanse sins. The rest of Hebrews tells us that. Only the precious blood of the sinless Jesus could satisfy God's wrath against human sinfulness. Only he could become our substitute because he was the only human who had never sinned. So when you think about why the baby arrived today to make purification for our sins, worship him in gratefulness. And maybe if you've never May Jesus your Savior. Maybe you worship him today by repenting of your sins, turning from them, and believing that he died on a cross to save you from them, to forgive you of every one of them. Number seven, Jesus rules over everything. Look at that last phrase. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus died, and after his resurrection from the dead, three days later, and after a short period of time after that, he ascended back into heaven and was seated at God's right hand. God's right hand, the place of authority and rule. This was no surprise. It had been foretold in Scripture in places like Psalm 110, verse 1, which is quoted later in this chapter, in verse 13. 
This movement to God's right hand assumes that he came from some other location to get there. And of course he had. Look over a page at Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. It explains how this works. But we see him, Jesus, who was for a little while made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So Jesus, who is all the things that we've seen this morning, humbled himself beneath the angels that he had created, by the way. He humbled himself beneath the angels in order to die for sinners. But he didn't stay humbled. Our text tells us, doesn't he? He took his rightful place at the right hand of the majesty on high. And as verse 4 tells us, he became superior to angels once more. So when you sing about angels today or read about them and remember their beautiful role in the story of baby Jesus, remember how Jesus was made lower than them to die for us and then was exalted. God's, or Paul's famous words to the Philippians summarize this so well. Do you remember these words in Philippians 2? He, Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, lifted him up, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And that's how the author of Hebrews ends our long sentence in verse 4, by the way. In the original language, the very last word of this, of this long sentence in verse 4 is the word name. The more excellent name. Jesus. I'll ask the praise team to return to the front for our final song. I hope through the word this morning, brothers and sisters, you have received plenty of reasons to worship baby Jesus today and tomorrow and 2023 and for eternity. I hope you instill all of these reasons to worship Jesus into all of your celebrations and truly make Jesus the reason for the season.